Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Central Asian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Nick C., a host of the channel. Our guest today is Professor Iraj Bashiri, who will be talking about his new book, The History of the Civil War in Tajikistan, published this year, 2020, with Academic Studies Press. Iraj Bashiri is a leading scholar in Central Asian Studies and Iranian Studies with a focus on Tajik Iranian identity. He is a professor emeritus of history at the University of Minnesota, where he taught on a variety of topics, including the history of Afghanistan, Central Asia, Iran, uh, with a specific focus on intellectual, religious, and political history. He has traveled extensively throughout Iran and Central Asia, with stints as a visiting scholar in Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and Tajikistan. He has worked closely with the Tajik Division of Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, and has published extensively in the field of Persian studies. He has also authored a number of works focused specifically on Tajikistan, including the English translation of Maso's The History of a National Catastrophe, as well as his own works, including The Samanids and the Revival of the Civilization of the Iranian Peoples, as well as prominent Tajik figures of the 20th century. Iraj, welcome to the show. Thank you. And I'd like to begin our discussion today on your new book um, by asking you a little bit about your your career, um, your scholarly work, and specifically how you became interested in Tajikistan. Okay, great. My early training uh, is in English literature, and uh, I changed from literature in the late 60s to general linguistics and from there to Iranian linguistics. So that's my general background. But uh, I have done extensive research in literature and also in history. And of course, it's the history part that we are dealing with. But in literature, I am a uh, structural analyst in that I have my linguistic background and I have my literature background, which I apply to literature itself. And in my historical uh, investigations to um, more analytical and looking at uh, issues long time to see how everything works and then make judgment. And that's what I've done in uh, my career, I would say, because I teach courses on ancient Iran and uh, I relate that to ancient Egypt, which usually nobody relates to, but is very, very uh, pertinent because uh, Iranian cosmology, mythology are pretty much Iranian, but when we get to history, Iranians ruled Egypt for 200 years, and therefore there is a marked distinction there in the development of things when Egypt comes in. 
I wrote Ancient Iran, Cosmology, Mythology, History in that relation. Then also I teach, uh, or taught, I should say, a modern Iran course, which uh, deals with post uh, uh, Samanid, uh, Susanian, meaning basically Islamic Iran. And uh, I wrote Modern Iran, Caliphs, Kings, and Jurisprudence that deals with the history of Iran after the Arab invasion up to the time of Ruhollah uh, Khomeini. So um, it's, it's a long history, as you can see. But the major element that I'm dealing with in all of this is looking for Iranian identity, and Tajik identity is a part of Iranian identity, and that's how I got involved, actually, in that. In the 16th century, the Iranians and Tajiks separated because Iranians chose Shiism, which Tajiks did not. They stayed Hanafi Sunni, and from then on, we have a different history kind of developed. I um, worked with Shiism on the Iranian side, to see how that worked, and that's a blend to me of Zoroastrian principles and Islamic principles coming out as a different religion now, as Shiism. And on the Tajik side, I decided to investigate the uh, situation of Tajikistan after the uh, Soviet invasion, and I wanted to see what the impact of Soviet rule on Muslim Tajiks was and how their identity could have changed. That's how it got involved in the uh, study of uh, Tajikistan. And of course, the history of the civil war in Tajikistan goes some 30 years uh, back in my research as I gathered information on all these and wrote the other three volumes before I got to this one. Yeah, and so in, in the first chapter in your book, you talk you actually talk quite at length about um, your first visit to uh, Central Asia in the early 90s, Just at, I think just after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Right. And I guess I was kind of interested, like, first of all, what were the questions that brought you to Central Asia in the first place? Was, like, I think it would be interesting for our listeners to hear about your experiences at that time, um, what you saw, what you witnessed. And how those early experiences in the 90s, um, just after the collapse of the Soviet Union, maybe, um, did anything surprise you? Um, and <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering if, it, if, it, if that helps explain some of the trajectory of your later work, um, like those initial experiences in Central Asia. Well, my first trip was about 10 days, so not very long. I was invited by the Academy of Sciences, and um, there was a Tajik director, uh, Margarita Kasimova, who came to Minneapolis, and we talked about Tajikistan. I really knew very little at that time about Tajikistan, and she said, uh, well, I have a book called The Black Tulip, which deals with the Iranian Revolution, and she said that we will be willing to uh, ask you to come to Tajikistan to see how the Tajiks live. Would you want something like that? I said, of course. But I didn't really think that that would come to anything, but it did. And uh, some six months later, the academy sent me an invitation 
for 10 days to go to Tajikistan, which I did. And there I was invited actually by the Kino Studio and not by the Academy, through the Academy. So when I got there, the Kino Studio people took over and I didn't know quite why. Because everybody else who was there, academicians in the Academy going to meetings, and I was being taken along by the Kino Studio people, worried about what's going on and telling them, this is why I came. They said, no, that's not what you came here. We invited you, and they did the invitation. That's all. They have nothing to do with you. Anyway, they took me everywhere, very hospitable people, and they had some movies and things that they had they wanted me to look at, especially on the Shahnama of Ferdowsi. So I got involved in that and uh, did some work with the academy as well and returned. Then I thought I should probably have a project on Sadruddin Aini, who actually kind of has uh, covered everything from early times of the Soviet Union, actually the Emirate of Bukhara, uh, to be exact, all the way to the 50s. And I thought maybe I should work with his work to see what he tells me the transition was like. So I asked the IREX for funding, and they accepted. And my wife and I then went to Tajikistan for one year. Now, the thing is that when I was in Tajikistan earlier, everything was great. It was Soviet Tajikistan, everything in place. Everybody happy to discuss Islam and whatever I wanted. And I thought that would be the best place actually to go and find what... um, they have. But what happens then, of course, they were in the middle of, or, or the beginning actually, of the civil war, and nobody wanted to talk about Islam, nobody wanted to have anything to do with uh, things that have happened. And I was surprised from just the airport on, as I looked at the streets and changes in the streets and all these people with guns uh, all around. I was wondering if it's a safe place. Should I have brought my wife yeah. here? In any event... And, sorry, have, can you remind us um, when, when specific... Like, when did you receive the IRAX grant? And so what, like this, what month, what year are you 19, talking about? 1993. And okay. we got there about April uh, uh, 1993. Okay. So eventually we got an apartment settled and I found that I can ask people I know now uh, for books from their private libraries on Aini to study while I sit here and really cannot even talk to people. Mm -hmm. Actually, we couldn't go out of the apartment Mm -hmm. uh, between 10 in the morning and 3 in the afternoon is the time that was allowed at that time to be in Dushanbe around. Other than that, back in the apartment until tomorrow. So that's the situation that we had uh, there for some six months. It was like that. And therefore, uh, my study of Islam had to be pushed back a little bit, and my study of Aini came forth, and I learned a great deal about Aini's life, work, and those he knew, how Tajiks work, and then gradually I could talk to people here and there about 
the Islamic aspect of uh, the Soviet life in Tajikistan and, uh, and go on. The difficulty for us that stands out was when in August, around August, everything was going great. And then suddenly there were no, things were not found, we couldn't find anymore. Meat or, uh, I don't know, things that you get, potatoes and carrots and so forth. And that, it got to a point by December that we couldn't find anything. We go to the market, everything is closed. We go back to the apartment, we have nothing to eat. And then I talked to people and a Tajik family uh, kind of took us in. And we stayed with them until February when uh, we came back to home to Minneapolis. So that's what stands out for me is the difficulty that we had uh, in December when we couldn't find anything. The apartment we were was on the 11th floor of of the high-rises. It didn't have any uh, elevator working. It had elevators, but they did not work. So we had to go back and forth 11 stairs every day just to be out at 10 and be back by 3. Very, very difficult. And then food situation came up. First, people started to help us by knowing people and buying things like oil and so forth. And a time came that they said, we can't find anymore. Sorry. And then uh, they helped us the other way. Yeah, it sounds like, I, of course, this would uh, sit with you for quite some time. And I think, um, yeah, it's, it's it's a very tragic, but, but probably also fascinating time to, to be in Tajikistan. Um, and if, if you don't mind me asking, um, I mean, w- under what conditions did you leave the country in, sorry, you said February of 94? Um, no, there, was no, it, no, were there no, any difficulties leaving? No, no um, conditions. Everything was fine. Uh, we left. Okay. So things had kind of calmed down at least. In yeah. At that time. yeah. After about six months or so, uh, Rahman took over and things started to shape up. But no problem. And have you visited, and I assume you visited Tajikistan um, since 1994? Yeah, I have visited Tajikistan about 12 or 13 times. Wow. So every two or three years I travel there to find out exactly what these people that I'm interested in are doing. Are they still alive? Are they not there? Uh, Talk to people about uh, the war. Talk to people about the situation at the time. So... I've been in touch, uh, kind of uh, gathering notes, but not writing yet. And so now, you know, I should congratulate you on the publication of this book, because this is obviously a topic that's been with you for some time. And I'm curious, when did you realize that you wanted to or that you had the aspiration to to actually write a history of the Civil War? It's, It's a pretty big undertaking. The history of the Civil War, actually, I had um, an idea to write something about the third force in Tajikistan, which I was uh, trying to find out information on, and I could not. Then I decided maybe I write uh, a volume on Rahmanov and how he got to be president. I talked to him. 
he uh, agreed um, to help me. But when I went actually for help, they wanted to know um, who uh, would be involved and uh, I should submit every chapter that I write to them to look at and so forth. I said, well, we don't do things like that. We just investigate whatever it is we write. We cannot, there's no verification. If there is one, that's me. So uh, we kind of, I kind of decided not to pursue that. And Ken Jayev had sent me his three volumes with a note uh, kind of uh, telling me that if you don't work on this, nobody else would. And I hope that you will help me get my word out. And uh, of course, I was working on these other volumes at the time. And I was just, uh, I read his uh, materials, took notes, and put them aside until I was finished with the uh, other uh, volumes on identity that I talked about. Then eventually, uh, I uh, decided to write the volume with his perspective. Now, whether that's the right perspective or not, I really am not interested. I just wanted to show what his perspective, how he saw himself in the Civil War, and he saw others in the Civil War, including Rahman, including Rahman's assistants and everyone else. And that's what I basically uh, tried to do, to show uh, what his effort was, where where he went wrong, where, where he went right, and in the long run, uh, whether the Tajiks made the right choice or not. Yeah, and I think um, hopefully we'll we'll kind of come back to uh, this figure, Safarve Kanjayev, um, who features prominently in, in a couple of chapters of the book. And I know, as you mentioned, um, a lot of your work was based on his his uh, recollections about the war. Um, but I was wondering if we could kind of step back a little bit um, and talk about the bigger picture, um, because you have um, you have a chapter on. So, so your first chapter, you talk about um, your experiences in the '90s and kind of your how you became familiar with Tajikistan, and then you give us a history in the second chapter, I think, um, a history of the Emirate of Bukhara. So the pre-Soviet period, and then you have a chapter of on Soviet Sovietization, and I'm curious, like how you see these these um, older historical periods, both in the 19th century and and you know the majority of the 20th century. How do they? Um, do you see like can we trace the history of the Civil War or the causes of the Civil War back through those early historical? Uh, ideologically, we can. Usually, people want to relate people to, uh, like from the 1970s to 1920s. That's not how I see it, but ideologically, uh, the, the uh, battle, if you like, the conflict between the Muslims and the communists begins in uh, the Emirate of Bukhara. And, uh, I mean, uh, there were no communists yet, but the idea was, was there. And it develops gradually in southern Tajikistan and um, surfaces in the 1970s 
And uh, in that sense, there is a major relationship. I've tried very hard to develop that uh, through lives of various people as um, the, the two sides um, developed Tajikistan, one side in southern Tajikistan developing uh, Islamic schools, Islamic way of life, preaching that kind of thing. Um, the other um, ones in uh, the Orvantepa region are working very hard on cotton fields, working very hard on getting water to uh, wastelands, what the communists usually do, and uh, develop that area wonderfully. So at the end, we had an Islamic uh, setup in schools and understanding and ideology developed, and we had an industry developed very wonderfully uh, under communists with uh, their atheistic ideas, and the two were as they had been against each other. So in that sense, uh, it's the same story ideologically right through now. And so if we, if we kind of move forward, um, you know, one thing I noticed in, in a couple of the interviews you had um, in the book, um, several people referred, you know, at the time in the early 90s, referred to Glasnost and Perestroika, so these, these late 80s um, kind of dual Gorbachev reforms um, that sought to kind of bring some, some yeah, reforms to the Soviet Union. Um, a lot of people pointed to those as the reason for 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 why tensions had built up in Tajikistan, and I'm just curious: um, Do you think that still holds true today? Is is that like a common belief um, from what you can see among Tajiks that the collapse of the Soviet Union and those attempted reforms, um, some might even say hasty reforms, um, actually led directly to the civil war? Perestroika means restructuring. And in that sense, Tajiks were very happy, most of them, because they were no longer um, under the rules of the Soviet Union, could uh, develop their uh, republic, either Islamic or European, the way they wanted. Glasnost, meaning openness, gives them and the ability to have their own media, to create parties, and to move their uh, ideas the way, again, they wanted. So in that sense, it opens the way for the Tajiks. Now, whether they understood exactly what those things mean or not is uh, what the outcome was. But uh, Glasnost and Perestroika kind of dissolved that uh, imposition of authority that existed. And automatically then uh, Tajiks felt free and uh, they thought they did not understand freedom in the sense of democracy and uh, law uh, and order. They understood as freedom, what you want to do, go ahead and do it, it's fine. In that sense, then gradually they started to go in different directions. And then the Islamists were very powerful, things in one direction, and of course the Soviets were more powerful than that, were in the other direction, and the country then started to fall apart. So um, there were many factors involved, and I would say Glasnost and Perestroika started 
kind of ignited the Tajik uh, civil war, but it was not the cause of it. Mm-hmm. Now, if you right, want, right, right, right. So they kind of created, you know, brought these tensions that that, as you're saying, existed beforehand to the forefront. Right. Um, sorry, go ahead. Let, let me give you some of the reasons uh, that they were so unhappy with the system. Actually, they were unhappy with the nomenclatura and the cadre systems, uh, this being the uh, supervisors at the union level and uh, specialists at the state level who managed everything, the lives of Tajiks in general, uh, whether at kolkhoz level, whether at family level, whether at individual level. So they were not happy with that. For example, they sent a cadre from Moscow. That person would bring another person with, like as a uh, first secretary or as an assistant. And this person chooses people that he knows in Tajikistan who can do things. And they choose the ones that they know. And that leaves most of the Tajiks out of job, out of school, and that kind of thing. So they were not happy this system of uh, nomenclatura. They were not happy as far as nationalism is concerned because they felt, again, that their national interest is in their traditional Iranian tragic way of life, and they are being denied. They could not have their no rules. They could not read the Shah Nomeh. They could not do a lot of things that they normally would like to do. Instead, they had to go into classes of atheism, classes into um, things that were not really Islamic the way they wanted, or they had to go away. So they were kind of two nationalities in one. Regionalism was another thing. Like uh, the Soviets, when they came to Tajikistan, they chose the northern people and then preferred them giving jobs um, responsibilities and so forth over southern people. And these two parts of Tajikistan, because of the mountains in between, are quite separate. You can have almost two Tajikistan. So the rulership the power was in the north, everybody in the south in the cotton fields are working as they wished. And they did what Moscow wished. So there was also this clash between north and south created uh, by the Soviets, but uh, in Tajikistan nevertheless. So that would be regionalism, and they built a lot of things that, um, even in Tajikistan, uh, in places like Horgan Tepe, why I didn't pay much attention to Kulab, and that would be Kulabis and Horgan Tepe people against each other, that kind of thing. And of course, ideology, as I've been saying, was a major thing, suppressing Shiite, uh, uh, Sharia Islam, and... Uh, imposing atheistic and communistic ways of life was something that Basmachis didn't want. It was something that the Jadids, most of them, after they even came into the Soviet Union and worked for the Soviet Union, did not want. So those are, to me, the major issues that I saw early in uh, my work with Tajikistan that are kind of brewing into something eventually, which is not. Um, good, but then the openness that came 
and the ability to restructure gave them the possibility to do uh, what they had planned to do from day one. And so I want to kind of dive more deeply into the events that that kind of, um, as we move, as we see the the collapse of the Soviet Union happening in Tajikistan, um, really uh, things start to pick up um, in February of 1990. So well before you were there. Right. Um, um, and, and this mostly surrounds Kah- Kahor uh, uh, Mahamov, um, Mahkamov. Who is uh, who was the first secretary of the Communist Party of Tajikistan at the time, if I'm correct? Um, and you know there there are these events um, that happened in February of 1990, and this is the first kind of unrest um, that we see that eventually leads to to a broader civil war. So I was wondering if um, I think even for people who study the history of the Soviet Union and the Soviet collapse, maybe these events are not very well known. So I was wondering if you could kind of um, summarize like what those, what, what the tensions in that specific moment were and how this, um, this tension actually uh, gets us to, to expands into an actual civil war with several fronts um, and, and kind of factions split along these regional lines. Okay. Um, um, if we keep the, uh, Islamic and atheist in the background as a major uh, mover, and then I can say that maybe Kenjayev, uh, who was chosen by Nabiyev to be the head of the uh, Supreme Soviet, uh, is a person to look at. Now, Kenjayev brought a, uh, the Minister of Interiors uh, his name was um, Mamad Ayaz Nojavanov, uh, to trial on embezzlement, and he te- televised the whole thing. Now, Nojavanov is from Badakhshan, and Kinjayev is from Hisar. In other words, one person from this region is accusing and showing everyone in the world that this Badakhshani has embezzled and has cars and houses and so forth, at your expense. Now, the next morning after this uh, trial, we have the Badakhshanis coming to the Supreme Soviet in a sit-in that long lasts a long time, and they want Mahkam, uh, they want uh, Kenjayev out. And uh, Nabiyev, who probably is the cause of the trial in the background, does not help Kenjayev and does not accept uh, Ojavanov's uh, um, resignation. And eventually the Islamists see this, and they capitalize on that and talk Nabiyev into getting rid of Kenjayev, which he does, and Dustov, his assistant. So when Nabiyev loses these two people, he becomes pretty much a lonely figure in Tajikistan under the auspices of the Islamists. And eventually they forced him out of office at gunpoint. He was uh, in the airport actually going to Khojan when this happened, and they forced him to resign. And Iskandarov comes to power, and the government of national reconciliation is formed at that time, which lasts for some six months. 
but rules only in the southern parts, partially, and not in the north. The uh, northern uh, people did not accept the government. But gradually then the elders get together in Kojan and uh, decide that they should have a meeting and in that meeting decide on a new constitution and form a constitutional government and the parliament and a new, excuse me, new way of life for the Tajiks. So that's the, how the government of national reconstruction uh, or reconciliation came into being and what Nabiyev's role was, what Kinjayev's role was, and what the Islamists. And so this government of national reconciliation that's formed, how, how can we best understand this? Is, is, this um, is this an attempt to bring different factions together um, under one, I guess, to share power? Um, like, what was, the, what was the goal of that? Um, the goal, um, the short goal was to make Tajikistan Islamic. The longer one was to create an Islamic Republic like Afghanistan, like Iran in Tajikistan and throw out Soviet rule and any other rule out. So long and short, a little bit different. Okay. Um, and so, so there's another figure um, that stands out prominently in your book that I wanted to bring up, which is the um, the Kazikalo, um, which is kind of like a religious leader, Hoji Akbar Turajan. How does he figure in all of this? He, uh, most of the time, played on both sides. So he was with Nabiyev and with the Islamists, with Kenjayev and with the Islamists at the same time. And as a religious leader, uh, he always said that he did not want to get himself involved in politics. But of course, politics, half of it was ideology. And he was in the middle of that. But people didn't recognize that. So they paid great attention to him. He tried to, not tried, but he tried to change everyone that Soviets had put in place in the mosques, out in all the mosques uh, in the republics, except for Kulab, and changed them to his um, choices, and in that sense he had a major grip for a while on Tajikistan and on uh, Tajik politics, but he does not come um, very high, in fact, when you think about it. He was limited by ideology and by the people that uh, have followed him, not a very large uh, following. And so... So we see this. Um, we see the way that this government of national reconciliation is formed. How does the civil war progress from that point? Um, because I I see that okay. So once this government is formed, um, it's it's not fully recognized within the country. You mentioned that up in in the northern part of the country, they actually reject that government. Is this the basis on which the civil war becomes a full blown war, or is there a more complex picture going on. Now, th- this is uh, almost, we could say, the culmination. And again, uh, I should say, Kenjayev had a major part in this, that when he was dismissed from 
uh, the headship of the Supreme Soviet, he formed his own command in Hisar, and um, big organization, and eventually shot his way into Tajikistan, to, into Dushanbe, uh, to take over. And uh, he did not succeed because other commanders in the south had told him we'll meet you at Putovsky Bridge on that day and we'll all march into Dushanbe. They didn't show up. That was Sangyak Safarov and others. Therefore, uh, he didn't have by himself the power to take over and he went to the Russians and with their help, he tried to and succeeded, I think, in forcing the government of uh, national reconciliation to accept a meeting in Khojan in which to decide the fate of the Tajiks without getting actually in war and getting a lot of people killed. And that is how the Khojan meeting is important and how it came to be. And um, so I just want to, like, take a step back now. And because earlier in the interview, you mentioned that one of your goals was to kind of understand the way that, that uh, Rahmonov or Rahmon um, ha- had come to power and how, I guess, the basis of, of contemporary state building in, in Tajikistan, like how it emerged out of the war. Um, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about uh, Rahmon's background and and how this, uh, basically how he came out um, winning the election in the 90s. Um, Rahmon uh, originally was a kolkhoz head in Kula. Uh, not very many people know him. He was in one or two battles as commander. But in the Khujan meeting, he gave a uh, resounding speech and is very good in giving long speeches in how Tajikistan can be served and saved, what our role should be. And uh, there, I think people started to look at him as uh, the type of person that they wanted uh, to rule Tajikistan. And they made him what was called Sardar Davlet the leader of the government. And uh, later on, he became president, and he is president until today. So um, not a very um, uh, well-known figure in the early stages. And I kind of want to turn the conversation a little bit, because um, one thing I, I mean... So I'm thinking about writing um, a history of, of an event that happened, you know, relatively recently um, and the challenges that kind of poses. And I think I was thinking one thing as I was reading the book. Um, I know, for instance, that um, the book that Kenjaev actually shared with you played an important role in, in your writing of the book, as did um, some of the interviews that you were able to do in 93. Right. Um, and I was just curious um, if you could, I mean, are there any other major sources that you found useful? Because um, I do see um, other types of memoirs cited throughout. Um, and particularly, did you face any challenges while writing this kind of history, um, given the, the, the relatively recent nature of those events? And like, 
the sources that were available to you? Um, well, the sources that I used uh, were mostly tragic, and those who had actually participated in some of the meetings and written about them. Uh, so uh, that's one source. The sources that are in English uh, are mostly written about the civil war, again, through interviews and discussions with people there, but do not have the background. And that's what I thought was necessary to write a history that shows in a gradual development from the beginning of the conflict to the conflict that we have. And the conflict we have today, or we had, I should say, was the, uh, the end of that. So what caused it, how it developed, and uh, that, that's, I think, what is different, the difference between uh, things that are now uh, going as history of the civil war in Tajikistan and uh, what I have. Other than that, um, uh, the interviews are the same. They have talked to the same people. Some of them have read Kinjayev, uh, for example, or have had someone read Kinjayev for them and interpreted it. But it's a different thing to live with people and to talk to them and then to read what they have and assess it for yourself, uh, where this person stands, not who said how, but uh, this commander who makes this decision at this point uh, to do this with soldiers, is that a correct decision? And you find that that maybe is right or that is not a, I mean, Kenjayev was a lawyer and he happened to become a commander. Now, when they asked him, for example, to come to the Potovsky Bridge and will be there, well, any commander would think about it 10 times, whether they would be there or not, that I take everyone to Dushanbe and put them in jeopardy. But he, he accepted and he came, and that's what happened to him. Perfect. So, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That's really interesting, and and I hope that we continue to see um you know, it's it's a it's a relatively understudied topic, and I, I and so I wanted to thank you again for writing this book because I think it's we need more material on this very important event. Actually, um, you know, I think there's a lot of discussion about the collapse of the Soviet Union being. Um, I mean, some people say a, a relatively peaceful event, and I just I feel like they're missing a lot of the picture. I mean, there are so many places where the transition was very difficult, and um, Tajikistan is certainly one of those places. Um, so I think this is a really important study, and I hope that others will find it useful for understanding the ways in which the unraveling of the Soviet system um, kind of vibrated throughout the uh, the former Soviet Union. Um, I hope so too. And so, in that in that kind of train of thought, I, I actually want to turn to um, the way that you end the book, um, which I which I read somewhat positively, um, or I guess we can call it a cautionary tale. So you write that democracy demands that every Tajikistani should be given a meaningful role in the administration of the state. You, and you continue by saying that deviations from the democratic ideal of the Hujan representatives 
is likely to place Tajik leaders in the same spot where the Soviet Tajik leaders found themselves in the 1970s and 1980s. And I was wondering if, if, and this is kind of nearing the end of our discussion, but I was wondering if you could explain what you meant by this statement, especially um, the second part where you talk about um, the position that Soviet Tajik leaders found themselves in the 70s and 80s. Um, what problems in representation um, in government on the part of different localities still exist? And how do you think Tajikistan will uh, deal with this um, as they continue to build their state and hopefully find a, a good solution to some of these problems? Well, the major problem that uh, that I see in Tajikistan uh, today is uh, nepotism. Now, that is what the Soviets used to divide people and to force them to work. In the sense that uh, Rahman is uh, working very hard uh, for the Tajiks, uh, he should be uh, appreciated greatly. But in that, he gets all the donations uh, from uh, outside and distributes them in the same way that we were talking about the nomenclatura and the cadres, uh, as if we are back in the Soviet Union uh, and everyone is, again, working for the same master without having any say, and the cadres choose the ones that they want rather than those who are meritorious. In that sense, I think um, they are not going the right way, and the way that Hojan people wanted it really was a democratic uh, way of life for the Tajiks in which everybody got a fair shake. But mm, the way I see it, and I see it from a distance, excuse me, from a distance and from what is being reported uh, more and more, that um, the allocations are not fair. And the family of the pre uh, president is in charge of everything. And that is what I meant, that we are where we were and not where we were scheduled to be. Yeah, thank you. Um, and once again, I wanted to thank you for agreeing to sit down and have this conversation. Um, I think it's a really important topic, and I found I, I, I certainly learned a lot from reading your book, um, and I hope to continue to kind of engage with these topics. So um, thanks again for agreeing to sit down with us. And um, we're kind of nearing the end of our time today, but um, as is custom, I want to ask, um, are there any future projects uh, that you have in mind right now or any current projects that you've already started that you'd like to share with us? Well, right now I'm writing an article on Zoroastrianism, the religion of ancient Iran, and uh, one on uh, the relationship between Tajik and Iranian literature over the centuries until um, the end of the Soviet Union, and also getting uh, materials for post-Soviet war, uh, Tajik identity. See where I get, I don't know. Great. Those all sound like fascinating uh, projects, especially for us who are uh, interested in kind of Persian identity and, and the history of Persian-speaking peoples. So um, should that book on Tajik, uh, post-Soviet Tajik identity, um, well, 
manifest into a book, we'd love to have you back on the program to talk about that. Um, so thank you again, uh, Dr. Bashiri, sure, no. uh, for agreeing to talk with us. Um, for our listeners, if you want to check out um, this book, and and I highly recommend it, um, you'll 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 want to look for the history of the civil war in Tajikistan by Raj Bashiri, and that's published this year, 2020, by Academic Studies Press. So thanks again, Raj. Surely, thank you for taking the time.